Hello, welcome to the Revive for the Journey podcast, where we give you this week's message from Cove Church. We pray that it blesses you and helps you grow deeper in your journey with Christ. Enjoy. Well, hello, Cove Church. So great to be with you as we rapidly approach Christmas and our series that we're calling A Weary World Rejoices. And today we talk about what it would look like to rejoice in the fact that we get to return to peace. Uh, Points me to a story I'll tell you. Uh, It happened just a few years ago of a woman in one of the the colder regions of our country, her and her family, uh, her, her husband, and their three kids. It was a Christmas Eve. And uh, they were getting some last-minute gifts wrapped for Christmas Eve. The plan was to watch a Christmas movie, maybe pop some popcorn, and and, uh, then, of course, head off to bed for Christmas Eve. And so they're doing that. There's Christmas music playing from Apple iTunes. There's uh, candlelight, but also regular light in the house, the Christmas tree. All those things are taking place. And suddenly, boo, the power goes out. And so Dad goes downstairs to check it out. No, the breakers are fine. It's not our power. And they go outside and realize that the power is out in the entire neighborhood. As far as they can see, there is no power out there. Uh, All there is is the light of the moon reflected against the freshly fallen snow. And so they go inside. They're like, well, what are we going to do now? How are we supposed to do what we're supposed to do? Well, mom gathers up some candles, and they're able to to gather together and finish wrapping the presents to get that chore taken care of. But the kids are still disappointed. They're like, we're going to watch a movie. We're going to pop popcorn. We're going to listen to music. We can't do any of that now. What are we supposed to do? But their mom, ever the optimist, had an idea. She said, get, get a bunch of those uh, canning jars that we have. Bring those and put a little bit of dirt in each one of them. Bring them inside. So the kids went and did that. She got a hold of a bunch of tea candles and put those inside each one of these jars and lit them. And said, now each of us has a lantern, our very own lantern. They said, why do we have a lantern? What are we going to do? She said, we are going Christmas caroling. <laughs> the kids were excited about this. This sounds great. This will be fun. And the husband was obedient. He was like, all right, I guess we'll do that. So they got their coats. They got their hats. And uh, away they went outside, this little group together, and stood there in front of a neighbor, their first neighbor next door. And they began to sing, Angels We Have Heard on High. And as they're singing out, comes the neighbors. You can see them by candlelight coming out of their doors watching them. You can see their smiles as they're watching them on that Christmas Eve. Went to the next neighbor, caroling again. You know, Good King Wenceslas, uh, O come all ye faithful, all the great Christmas carols. They went clear through their neighborhood, down the street. Every house, the people would come out with their own candlelights. You could see their faces smiling as they caroled and went by. Eventually, they, they were able to make their way back to in front of their own house. And what the mom didn't realize is not only had people been watching them and coming out of their houses as they caroled going by, but many of those neighbors had actually joined their merry band of carolers. And so there, many of them found themselves gathered in the middle of the street in front of their own house. Without even anyone directing it, they just impromptu formed a circle right there in the middle of the street in the moonlight, only the candles in front of them to light their faces. And someone began to sing, 
silent night. The rest of them joined in together. One neighborhood, one community joining together to sing Silent Night. And of course, ending with the refrain, sleep in heavenly peace. And there upon that last word, they found themselves standing in this unusually quiet neighborhood. Not the usual sounds, not the usual lights, just the moon, light falling of snow. And that word peace brought about new meaning for them. And the mom began to cry as she realized what had taken place, you know. What, what had been plan B to just salvage their Christmas Eve turned into plan A of a Christmas Eve that she would never forget. The real gift that they longed for at Christmas, it wasn't more presents, it wasn't more movies, it wasn't more activity. No, the real gift they experienced on that uniquely silent night was the gift of peace. See, peace is not a destination we arrive at once everything has gone right. Peace is the presence of God meeting us when many things have gone wrong. That is the peace we get to return to today. The promise for us is this, that amidst a very weary world, peace can still find us. A peace that's not dependent on our circumstance, but rather a peace that supersedes our circumstance. So how do we walk in that? Well, in the book of Ephesians, this letter that's written by the Apostle Paul to the church in Ephesus, it shows us Paul discussing the true nature of peace, what it is, where it comes from, where it goes, why we need it. And it's my hope today, as we engage in this scripture, that each of us will return to the peace that may at times feel far from reach. But in truth, God's peace is close at hand. And here's the first thing I'd make mention of. We return to peace when we face the problem of peace. Ephesians 2, starting in verse 12, is where we're going to begin. Let's read it together. Big voices, right where you are, go. Remember that at that time you were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel and foreigners to the covenants of the promise, without hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. The problem of peace is that without God in our lives, peace will always be incomplete. For years, think about it, mankind has desired peace. Mankind has worked towards peace. We've written songs about peace. We've given Nobel Peace Prizes. We've made treaties of peace. We've, we've placed peace signs on VW buses, and yet peace continues to elude us. Right now, as of this moment, there are upwards of 27 wars raging between countries in our world now. Certainly the war in Ukraine has occupied much of our attention over these last 297 days. With nearly 13 million people displaced, tens of thousands of soldiers and civilians killed, billions of dollars in money spent to engage the conflict, and no immediate sign of meaningful ceasefire on the horizon. And that is just one of the wars in one moment in time. 
and mankind has always been at war in our world. The question is why? Here's why. Because mankind has always been at war in our own hearts. We've always been at war in our hearts. Paul is speaking of the human condition. That we come into this world with a longing, with a deficit, an illness of separation between us and God. That we're longing for community, we're longing for hope, we're longing for relationship with our creator. It is an ache in us that we're born with. This is mankind's pre-existing condition, and no, your healthcare provider will not cover it. <laughs> and that illness, that ache, expresses itself in a lot of different ways, but ultimately all of them assault God's peace in our lives. And that's the problem. We cannot know true peace apart from truly knowing God. Without God, we will end up feeling perpetually alone, isolated, and without hope. Perpetually dependent on our circumstance to make us feel like we're secure, like we're enough, like we're complete, and it doesn't do that. And no amount of diplomacy or strategy or goodwill can override this part of the human condition. So any effort to experience peace outside of God is doomed to fail because even if we could achieve peace on the outside, we would still be at war on the inside. Now, this doesn't mean we become nihilists and we don't try to see wars end and try to see people come together. No, we do those things. We pray for those things, but we address them at the source. Knowing none of it truly changes until what's broken in our hearts is made whole by God. When we lived in Iowa, um, prior to our kids being born, my wife Paula was a nanny for a wonderful family. They were originally from India. The parents very highly educated, highly gifted people. Mom is a judge. Uh, dad is a professor. And so Paula spent every day with their two little girls who are now fully grown. And one day, Paula was making cookies with the two little girls. And she's going through the process of showing them how to add the, the dry ingredients to the wet ingredients, how you stir it all together and what it's like. And in that process, she takes the littlest one and, and lifts her up so she can see up into the bowl to see what's happening there. And right at that moment, the little one exploded into a giant moisture-filled sneeze, ka right into the bowl. Now, Paula could have just baked the cookies, allowed that to be the secret ingredient, which just got added. But being the stand-up kind of person that she is, and also wanting to avoid whatever sickness that child might have been carrying, she was forced to dump out that batch and start all over. Why? Because no matter how good things look on the outside, it's what's on the inside that really makes the difference. We can never experience world peace until we experience personal peace. This is a humanity problem. And we enter this life at war, a war within, a war of distance and separation with God. This is the problem. This is the problem of peace, and it is a problem we must face. It's the first thing. Here's the second thing. We return to peace when we engage the person 
of peace. Let's continue the passage, Ephesians 2. Pick it up at verse 14. Big voices, go. For he himself is our peace, who has made the two groups one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility, by setting aside in his flesh the law with its commands and regulations. His purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two, thus making peace and in one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross, by which he put to death their hostility. He came and preached peace to you who were far away, and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have access to the Father by one spirit. So, Paul is talking about two groups being made into one. You might ask, well, who is those those two groups? Who are those two groups? It would be a reference to the Jews and the Gentiles. Uh, in, in simple terms, those under the law and those outside of it. But the larger point of this passage is that both of those groups needed redemption. Both Jews and Gentiles, insiders and outsiders, church folks, non-church folks, needed a redemption from God that they could not bring about themselves. So Christ gives his flesh, his body on the cross, to make a new humanity out of those two. It's like this in science. There are two ways that a new substance is formed, by synthesis or decomposition. New bonds are created in synthesis. Old bonds are broken in decomposition. That is the work that Jesus did on the cross, breaking the old bonds of the law, forming the new bonds of grace, and inviting us to experience the substance of new life in him making the two old things into one new thing. Jesus did that for us at the cross. The person of peace makes personal peace possible. See, we must understand that all of humanity ultimately falls into one of those two categories that are mentioned here, those raised under the law and those raised outside of it. Each one of us will will find ourselves in one of those places or lean one way or the other. And Jesus says, I didn't just come to rescue one side of that equation, or I didn't come to make one side then just cross over to the other. I came to make something new out of both of those places. Jesus redeems those who are under the law, and those who are outside of the law by destroying the barrier of hostility between us and God. That's the amazing work. By literally making peace by his sacrifice, Jesus tore down the wall between God and man and became the agent of perfect peace. He is our peace. We have in a special box in our household Uh, a a place that we keep a portion of the original Berlin Wall because Paula was there in Germany when that wall came down. And we keep that little piece of cement and rock as a reminder of something that used to divide people in cold enmity, but it was torn down through a movement of hope. We've kept that tiny chunk of wall for all these 30 years because it reminds us certainly of a great thing that happened in that country, but it also speaks of a greater thing that happened to humanity. 
that there was a wall of enmity between us and God, and Jesus tore it down. Not with artillery shells and rockets, not with armed troops and bulldozers. He tore it down with the gift of his own life. He purchased peace for us. And in doing so, Jesus becomes our peace. He wants to be your peace. The only way the great wall of hostility standing between people and God could come down was through a greater expression of love. And Jesus is that love. Jesus has broken down every wall and replaced it with his perfect peace. So the only wall that can now stand between us and God is the wall that we build. And we build them, don't we? We're pretty good at building walls between us and God. Walls of anger, walls of disbelief, walls of disappointment, walls of apathy. We build them. But those are the only walls that would now have to stand between us and God. And guess what? Jesus comes and says, would you let me help you tear those walls down too? saying to us, would you let me once again be your peace? Would you allow Jesus to tear down those walls with you? Because we return to peace when we engage the person of peace. That's the second thing. Here's the last thing. We return to peace when we experience the purpose of peace. Ephesians 2, verse 19. Let's read it. Big voices, go. Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. In him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. So here's why grace is so amazing. Here's why God is so good. Here's why we need this so much. When the Prince of Peace comes into our hearts, our hearts finally find their home. I'll say it again. When the Prince of Peace comes into our hearts, our hearts finally find their home. We no longer have to live as foreigners and strangers to God. Rather, we are citizens of God's kingdom, belonging to God and belonging to one another. Uh, see, that problem we started with, that war in our hearts, it, it finally experiences a genuine ceasefire. That pre-existing condition is finally completely healed, and it's there that we can experience true peace. And the purpose of true peace is not so we can wear our peace like a medal or just kind of feel warm and fuzzy all over. No, it's much more than that. God's peace is actually a byproduct of God's presence. Meaning when I'm at peace with God, it means God is living in me. God takes up residence in my life, that my life is no longer this empty shell. Instead, it's a tabernacle, it's a temple, it's a place that God lives. You can go online today and you can book for yourself 
a Hollywood celebrity tour bus ride. You can't. And these are the buses that drive by the homes of celebrities in Hollywood. And on any given day, that list of destinations, it could include Tom Cruise or Bruno Mars or Rihanna or Leo DiCaprio or Katy Perry and many others. Now, certainly their houses are nice, but there's a lot of nice homes in L.A., right? You don't see open-air buses just going to the homes of anybody, like Jim, the Microsoft accountant. You don't drive by his house, or Monica, the pediatrician. You don't drive by her nice house, or Kelly, the corporate attorney. You don't drive by her nice house. All of them have nice houses, but nice houses, but they're not on the tour. Why? Here's why. Because the value is not placed on the house, but upon those who live in it. The value is not placed on the house, but upon those who live inside it. Guess what? Jesus, the Prince of Peace, wants to live inside of you. In your life, in your heart, to take up residence in you. That's the difference that the peace of God can make in your life. Suddenly, you're not just any house. You're the house where God lives. So not only do you experience the peace of God within, but your life stands as a monument to what God can do in a life. So the question is, will will there be sort of a metaphoric tour bus of people driving by your life with tour guides going, hey, here's the highlight of the tour. Here's here's the, the peak of it. This is the house where Jesus lives. And they're looking at you. And the people want to take pictures and selfies by you. You in the background. Wow, look, this is the house that Jesus lives. Why would that happen for this reason? God's peace is intended to be both incarnational and inspirational. Meaning, God's peace in my life makes an impact on those around my life. We become carriers of peace. Vessels of peace, uh, peace Sherpas, if you would. We just bring peace with us. And the peace we carry invites others to the same, reminds them of what's possible. That's the purpose. Because we return to peace when we experience the purpose of peace. I'll wrap up with this. One of the characters in the cast of Christmas is a a man named Zechariah, who is the father of John the Baptist. Uh, Make him Jesus' cousin. And John John the Baptist would become the herald of Jesus, the one who goes before Christ, the one who would say to Judea, make way for the presence of the Lord. That's John the Baptist. Now, like Mary, Zechariah was given a heads up about the birth of John the Baptist from an angel. But unlike Mary, Zechariah's response wasn't, hey, let it be as you say, and just pondering that in his heart. No, his response was, how can it be as you say? And he judged the whole thing. And the immediate reply from the angel was, if you can't say anything nice, you're not going to say nothing at all. So he made Zechariah mute for the entirety of the pregnancy, nine months. His wife Elizabeth went to term, gives birth. And upon the birth, Zechariah has now caught up to what God seems to be doing. Okay, this really happened. 
And he becomes now able to speak. He's released to speak. And he declares this child's name is John. And with his newfound ability to communicate, much like Mary in the book of Luke, we see Zechariah's song. And there's one part of that song that I want to conclude with because it serves to clarify how we return to the peace of Christmas. And you see it in the last stanza of Zechariah's song where he says this, Luke 1, 76 to 79. And you, child, speaking of John the Baptist, will be called the prophet of the Most High. For you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways, to give knowledge of salvation to his people and the forgiveness of their sins. Because of the tender mercy of our God, whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the way of peace. That last phrase brings a striking truth. Peace is not some destination we're striving to reach or some elusive time in the future. Peace instead is the way we can walk all of the days of our lives as God's children, regardless of what those days hold for us. Peace isn't found in a place. It's found in a person. His name is Jesus. Peace is not about where we walk to. It's about who we walk with. God's peace is not subject to our circumstance. No, our circumstance is always subject to God's peace. So, would we face the problem of peace, our, our separation with God? Would we look at that? Would we engage the person of peace, the gift of Jesus to us? And would we experience the purpose of peace? That the living God would live in me. This is how we find peace in a weary world. But more accurately, it's how we allow peace to find us. So, would you let peace find you today? Would you trust God for the return of peace in your life? And perhaps if we do that together, we will experience the peace of God in ways we never have. Thanks for joining us. We hope you enjoyed this week's message. To stay connected with all things Cove Church, visit our website, covechurchpnw.com or on all social media platforms at Cove Church PNW. We'll see you next time.